Welcome to episode 16 of the Stageworthy Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. On Stageworthy, I interview people who make theater, actors, directors, playwrights, and more, and talk to them about everything from why they chose the theater to their work process and anything in between. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use and consider leaving a comment or rating. My guest is Victoria Urquhart, an actor and director from Toronto. She's also the founder of the Spur of the Moment Shakespeare Collective in Toronto, bringing Shakespeare to places like the Toronto subway and more recently into hospitals. And if you're listening to this podcast when it comes out, check out the 5th Annual Shakespeare's Shakespeare's Showdown on April 24th, 2016. about how when you came out of theater school people told you a bunch of things there was a lot of you shouldn't you shouldn't do this piece uh, you should do this piece for theater Ontario and you know you, you need to be careful about doing this and uh, for me um, I I guess I felt a little bit of a contradiction because I wanted to give the pieces that I felt best represented me um, and I was being told what best represented me and I kind of went well you know thanks for your feedback but and and you know in all fairness I I was learning so much about myself as an actor Mm -hmm. at that point Um, but uh, no one can really tell you what best represents you but you Um, and and along the way you definitely learn some different things about yourself and you definitely throw yourself into weird outlets and mm-hmm. and make mistakes but uh yeah um that i think it still comes down to nobody can nobody can really represent you mm-hmm. better than you those those pieces that they were telling you not to do were they overdone were they were they like super well known pieces? Um, they were they... they were a little overdone. Yeah. Um, some of them were were uh, more on the super known side. Mm-hmm. Um, there was actually there was a piece that I was told not to do. Um, it was from it was from Goodnight Desdemona, Good Morning Juliet, and I was told mm-hmm. you know don't do that. Everybody does that. But I love constance as a character yeah. and i remember using that monologue after after i graduated um i actually after that i kind of kicked those pieces to the curb and they became my maybe my back pocket pieces yeah. every once in a while um but i i after i got out of school i was like you know and I'm, I'm gonna do the pieces that i want to do yeah and here's this piece and this piece and this comedy and this comedy mm-hmm. um and they it, it became a lot easier for me after that. Um, 
I was also in a class of uh, um, amazing, lovely ladies who were all in some way or another an ingenue. So I was told I, I was more the quirky best friend. Mm -hmm. Well, that's true of, you know, it, that's true in a context, in a comparison to everyone else in my class. Yeah. Um, but the first role that I got coming out of school was an ingenue role. Um, and I hadn't even, it, it wasn't until that happened that I started considering that I might be able to play that. It's so hard in theater school figuring out what roles you're going to play when you get out. Yeah. Because there's always somebody who's, oh, he's got the oldest face, so we're going to give him all the old man characters, and he's 20. He's never going to play those roles, so what are you telling him yeah. about what his career is going to be like? And then he gets out of theater school, and all the stuff he's got is like the old man parts. And and especially in Toronto, it's uh, it's always reflective of the community, mm -hmm. because the th like theater is always about community. Yeah. So if you are doing theater in a community where predominantly the demographic is, you know, uh, a a bunch of older white dudes, well then you're probably going to get a show that showcases a lot of older white dudes. Now having said that, um, there's a lot of Toronto communities that need to be seen and need to be represented and aren't being represented Absolutely. on Toronto I think stages. That it's, like, it's the community of old white dudes who really need to see um, not old white dudes. Yeah, you know? big time. <laughs> oh, big time. It's like I saw an article, I think I just talked about this like the other day with somebody about how there I saw some kind of survey that came out of England where it was like, overwhelming majority says they could not accept a female Hamlet. And I was like, well, that means that they really need a female Hamlet. Yeah. You know? Theater is not just about, you know, the, the, the entertainment and the escapism at the end of the day. Some people go and see theater for many different reasons. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, like, we, with Spur, I do the Shakespeare in Hospitals program. Yeah. And... Even when you say for, spur, you're referring to the full spur, spur of the moment. moment. Yeah, cool. spur of the moment Shakespeare Collective. I do the Shakespeare in Hospitals program, um, and we see the we see theater happening for many different reasons, mm -hmm. and it is so far beyond escapism. And of all places, you'd think that it would be about escapism mm -hmm. and it would be about just the relief, but relief comes about in many different ways. Sometimes yeah. it's escapism. Sometimes it's catharsis. Sometimes people want to see someone hurt just as much as they are hurting yeah. right then and there. Um, sometimes it's about trying to find that little kernel of of enlightenment. Yeah. Um, that isn't necessarily relief, but it's it's some. It's some phrase or some some mindset that they can they can ascribe to for that day. You know, it's the same as uh, affirmations. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different reasons why we go and see theater, um, and I think that it, that's that's just what we need to remember when we are looking at, you know. Uh, how how each community is is being represented, um, and how and and what theater is happening in what community? Yeah, I think Shakespeare for an audience is such an unusual thing because the people who really need to see it are the people who don't want to see it. Mm -hmm. Like 
you know, the subscribers to so many different theaters are predominantly uh, aging out, and uh, the people who you really want to get in there, especially for Shakespeare and things like that, hate it because it was sort of rammed down their throats in oh, really yeah. poor fashion in in in, theater, in, in high school. Um, when you're performing it in hospitals, are you performing with spur of the moment in like for all audiences, or do you find that there it, it skews uh, to a particular demographic? Or hmm. I mean, uh, the the hospitals the hospital scene has a, a, a specific demographic, and part of I mean, part of the touring aspect is that each facility we go to has a, a slight change in mm -hmm. that demographic, has a slight characteristic. There's a kind of an overarch, but then there will be little, little, uh, little, little differences mm -hmm. that we notice. Um, yeah. In that sense, we do have a particular demographic that we, that we cater to. Which is answering one part of that question, yeah. and I forget what the other part was. Um, uh, I think it was about, because um, I forget too. Um, <laughs> I, it was more about it was about the the uh, the question of, you know, your demographic. You know, often we see the demographic of right. the age Shakespeare uh, and Shakespearean and, and the demographic. Who's seeing the, the the plays? Yeah, um, definitely. I mean. There are there are too many schools that have taught it for the stories mm -hmm. and not for the people. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. We just had a, a debate series between uh, Dylan Brenton of Wolf Manor Theater mm -hmm. and Michael Kelly of uh, Shakespeare in Action, mm -hmm. and Michael was so the 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 debate went to so many lovely places. Um, Michael was so adamant on the fact that uh, you know. We need to we need to really focus in on on what these people are saying as humans. Mm -hmm. We really need to connect with that. Mm -hmm. um, and and I remember him saying, you know, give me like give me this amount of time in a room with these with with these kids, and and they will like Shakespeare walking out of it because of the way that we're that we're going mm -hmm. like that that I can go about t teaching it. Yeah. Um, and and I believe that that's very. That's very true. Um, with the way that it has set up a lot of our demographics now, um, this is why I believe that one, we need to make sure that we are we are staging versions that are. I want to say I I want to say that are you know addressing present themes and I mean they're all addressing mm -hmm. yeah. themes that are that are universal and very connected to the present um, but for example we're doing Julius Caesar project right now mm -hmm. and that is set in a women's prison mm -hmm. and uh, it's, it's a mid-security women's prison um, and as we go about this um, our, our director Jane Spence is fantastic um, because she for so many reasons, but um, the, the one thing that really makes me that makes me uh, get excited is that we, when we examine the language, we're looking at how this language fits into this world, and how this world, as vice versa, fits into this language. Mm -hmm. um, 
as but as a part of that you know we get to those moments where it's like oh what does like we just got into uh, rehearsal today and I and I said okay well augurers in in the sense of the original story talks about fortune tellers but I I mean there could be a fortune teller in this prison I don't know if that will necessarily be communicated um, what do we what do we like what is an augurer in this world mm-hmm. um, and it only makes a slight difference um, at the end of the day as per like what the inflection is and everything but with regards to like that's that's just one little subtle nuance that informs that world and uh, and and when we think of when we add all of these little nuances together that's where we get to unlocking this very clear piece of Shakespeare that is very relatable um, to to what we're dealing with yeah. here and now. It's, al- it's always been fascinating to me that and I don't think it I don't think it's, an, it's just for adult audiences but every audience that I've ever performed Shakespeare for has the first scene is the, like this period of language acclimation mm. where the room sort of listens a little more. They don't quite catch everything, but they're sort of their brains are adjusting to the way the language works. Mm-hmm. And from that home, that moment on, they don't hear it as Shakespearean. They hear it. Uh, they, their understanding is 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 really full. And I think that comes from like really good rehearsals, mm-hmm. where you do have conversations like that, where you can debate what is the meaning of augurer in this world. Because if the actors understand it, the audience follows. Yeah, and it's 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 a matter of, of how much you commit to one thing and over the other uh, along the way mm-hmm. too. Um, I think. Hmm. I mean, I, I think that's that's one of the definitely one of the big keys. I think uh, I think as well. I mean, there's a certain. Oh man, my history teacher is gonna love me. <laughs> my theater history teacher would all was also my uh, sorry, moving all the chairs. Don't worry, I'm not farting. World, um, there's a <laughs> stool right by me. Um, hello, Toronto. <laughs> uh, my 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 theater history teacher would also would always talk about um, aesthetic distance within a show and how long it takes to to reduce that aesthetic distance um, and really bring someone into that world mm-hmm. and it would always be interesting because uh, at the same time you always knew when you were like five minutes away from the from the intermission from the end of the show mm-hmm. because there would just be this slight energy shift and whether it was from the actors or from the audience or from what was being said mm-hmm. maybe someone remembers someone's seen this play a bajillion yeah. times and knows but um, everybody knows when when you are five minutes away from the end of a show mm-hmm. um, and I mean I think that part of that is crafted within Shakespeare's language a little bit in the and in the way that we naturally hit some of these inflections as well as you know just in how we have been conditioning ourselves and and working a particular scene mm-hmm. um, and you see it too in uh, in in all of Shakespeare's plays the 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 imagery and 
the, the the imagery that's being expressed in the language that informs the tactics that are being used by the characters. Um, there's there you get a sense of what world they're creating just from the audio. I mean, we always hear people talk about uh, how how you know a, a theater and its root words and its root it, the root of that word comes from an audio base, not necessarily mm-hmm. a visual place visual base, um, and that's very true of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, I think that that uh, when we really mine that for a piece that is so based on language, um, then we're able to ease that aesthetic distance uh, that that we sometimes get with with language mm-hmm. um, or with like heavy language based plays like Shakespeare. Yeah. What is your theater background? When did you first? find that theater was something that you wanted to do? Um, that's a hard one. <laughs> uh, I was... I must have been like five years old, mm-hmm. uh, maybe four, and I I wanted to, to be on the TV, and I made friends with people on the TV, mm-hmm. and I wanted to be on the TV with my friends, and I couldn't understand why I couldn't do that. Um... And then, when I was in grade one, I uh, I had <laughs> I had directed and and performed in a bunch of little skits that I had made up because I wanted to do that, and I had written scripts and all of these things. I was six years old, um, and I this is just what you do when you when you want to perform for for an audience. So I did that. And then at the end of that year, I got this little sticker of achievement. We everybody got a certificate, yeah. and like I got a sticker that had the drama masks on it. And I didn't know what drama was, so I asked my mom, "Well, what, what, what does that mean?" And she says, "Oh, that's that's you know putting on plays and acting on on TV and stuff." And I was like, "Oh, acting? Yeah, I want to do that." So you somehow instinctively knew how to create a, a script and how to get people to do what was written down? <laughs> somehow. <laughs> um, apparently when I was like 10 years old, the, the, first, uh, the first piece of theater I actually got to see that I can remember was uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Mm-hmm. And I went and I saw it with... It was either my mom or my grandmother. I can't remember now. Um, but she asked me how do you like the play? And I said, good. I liked it a lot. And she said, okay, do you, do you think that you want to be on, do you, do you think that you want to perform on that stage? And I was like, oh no, I'm going to direct. <laughs> At 10 years old. <laughs> Apparently I said that. <laughs> um, did, did you find people try to talk you out of that when you were in high school or when you were going through school? Did anybody try to convince you that that was not something you should do? Yes, a lot. And um, I think, I mean, I, I have actually received that from a couple of different people um, on varying levels. Uh, at one point, my dad tried to convince me out of it. Um, my mom still will sometimes go, you would be really great as a translator. Because I was, I was really, 
studious mm -hmm. and very good at understanding, um, especially French. French was very easy for me. Where does translator come from for her? Is it just because of the French, or is there? I think I think part of it is the French. Um, for her, I I think um, my my mom used to be an English teacher, and um, she she, she kind of started me on my on my road for for Shakespeare. I remember getting. Um, this very old book, it was Lamb's Shakespeare Tales, and okay. it wasn't the actual script, No, but it was um, a series of stories that were Shakespeare, but they were rewritten by the author so that he could tell them to his sister, because the images were, if I, if I remember correctly, about the whole thing on this this book, this was all told to me by yeah. a friend, so I could be totally off. But um, it, it actually makes a lot of sense too. Is uh, th these stories were were re they, they were reworded into a narrative as opposed to a full script, yes. yeah. so that um, his sister wouldn't get uh, triggered by any particular images because she had a mental illness, okay. um, which I thought was really cool. Mm. Um, and I remember I remember reading that. Um, and then finally getting to, to do some Shakespeare in high school and being like, yeah, I totally know what this is. There's a, there's, I got this book. I got all these things, and I get there, and it's like, oh. Well, this is, I mean, okay. I'm going to go and do some of my own stuff when did you this. When did you get out of that sort of disappointment with it? Uh... Somewhere around, I somewhere around grade nine, grade ten. I, uh, I mean, I was given. I think my first Shakespeare play that I that I was able to read fully on my own was uh, Twelfth Night, and I read through that, and it was it was really easy for me, um, and I was bored with it really fast, um, and so I started to read some of the other plays and get a sense of what the other language is. And it didn't all hit me right away, but I, I started to learn different things with how the lines were written. Um, the big thing for me was knowing that, you know, the period didn't necessarily mean, or the, the, the end of the line didn't mean that that was a period. And so I would read through it and I'd start to read it out loud and go, oh, okay, this is what this thought is. Yeah. And so they're kind of going at it like this right now. And then they've got this tactic. And then it just uh, it made a lot more sense yeah. like that. Um, yeah. And, go ahead. The, no, the people who tried to talk you out of, of theater, um, your mom, did your dad have a particular tactic that he wanted, um, career that he wanted you to follow? My dad, uh, he... I mean, both of my parents ha had said to me, pr like, prior to sometimes mentioning these things here and there, uh, they would say, you know, whatever you want to do, you do it. Whatever you want to be, you go for it. Um, you know, if you want to be a bartender for the rest of your life, if you want to be a server for the rest of your life, so long as you are, so long as you are taking steps to, to pursue that and to... to to do that, go be happy, mm -hmm. and okay. I I'm so grateful for that. 
um it, it was then after um after a while that i that i came out as an actor mm-hmm. yes um there were there would sometimes be the mentions of like you could do this you know and uh <laughs> have you ever thought of this and it, it shook me for a little bit um and i was in the uh I, in high school i was in the uh, regional arts program for drama and um I can sometimes be a very shy person and a very introverted person. Um, And so then, you know, you get into the high school years with your class and there are other people who are recognized for for having their ability to bring this energy to a character and they can be loud and they can do all of these things. And I was like, yeah, I can I can do those things. I just don't really connect with it in the same way. I'm kind of still figuring things out and I don't. I don't just want to put myself out there <laughs> without without having a sense of what that feels like yet, yeah. um, which, you know, that's not the best instinct to have, and sometimes that still gets me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that we all, we all have our burdens to bear, and we all have our things that we work on within ourselves, within our craft. Um, so when I was in high school... Um, a lot of uh, a lot of the time, uh, I because I had some different interpretations to the text, and I wanted to try out other things before I tried out the most obvious. Um, I there there would be people in my class who would be kind of like, maybe you're more of a director, maybe you're more of this. Never quite directly saying, don't be an actor, but being like. You're so you're so great at this. Why don't you go and do that instead? Did were did you did the guidance counselors know what to do with the idea of you going into theater? Uh, I didn't give them the okay. chance. <laughs> I, I always I never. I don't know if they still do this in high schools, but we all had to go and talk to the guidance counselor about what we wanted oh, to do in the future. Yeah. And uh, so they could like advise us on schools, and they didn't quite know how to handle somebody who wanted to be an actor going to theater because they were all prepared to go uh science is at u of t you know yeah. literate, you know all the all of the usual things and when somebody said theater they were they just sort of didn't have a frame of reference for that um i i mean i think uh, at that the point that i was graduating was about 2006 um at that point, there were more theater schools established mm-hmm. in post-secondary, and yeah. so it was a little more widely accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I actually regret, or maybe not regret, but I, I, had, um, I had guidance counselors strongly advise me not to take um, university-level math courses. Um, because I had gotten a 68 in math as my final grade in uh, grade 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going, but wait a minute, because these things still interest me. I'm just not getting it at the same rate as everybody. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I just, you know, I just need to spend some more time on it. I later actually learned um, now like a year ago, I learned that I, I'm functioning with ADD. Ah. So some of these things yeah, make a lot more sense. sense. I have, I actually, they told me something similar because I was not good at math, but that's, I actually found out that I had like uh, 
learning disability where math was concerned, mm. which took like ages for anybody to tell me. Right. Yeah. Like, just that I was stupid up until a certain point. It know? can yeah. it can be a, it, it can certainly be a a, a blow to one's mm-hmm. uh, one's one's confidence about their intelligence levels and uh, and and whatnot. Um, the funny thing is, uh, I I said okay, well I'm I'm still going to do math. At, um, I'll just do it at the college level, and I took this uh, course called personal finance, mm-hmm. and I wish they had it in grade twelve. Um, because it, it taught me so much about budgeting, mm. um, which then later helped me in you know founding my own company and yes, figuring yeah. out how to make ends meet with that. Um, but the 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 funny part about that was uh, there is only one in in the, in my high school there was only one award for math, and so all of college and all of university got lumped in together, and whoever got the highest mark was the was they got that award right. and so in grade 11 um i got the award for for the highest percentile mm-hmm. in math <laughs> <laughs> and i was in college math for personal finance and all of these calculus students are like just fuming because i i got this award yeah. I, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'd be mad about it now. I'm never gonna see like this is this is great. This yeah. is grade eleven. This isn't even grade twelve. <laughs> okay. It's interesting you were talking about you know the people who were outgoing, you know, in the high school and other things, and the, you were more of an introvert. The number of people that I've talked to who are in theater who identify as introverts mm-hmm. far outnumbers the people who are extroverts. Big time. And. Um, it's, it's interesting because, you know, as, a, as an introvert myself, I never have a problem getting on the stage. It's coming off the stage and people talking to me after the show yeah. that I can't quite deal with. Because you just spend so much time on the stage and that's a draining thing. And yeah. then all of a sudden they, people get uh, people get really... People get really excited and want to want to like want to touch base and, and yeah. meet the person behind that character and all of that and that's great but it's like I have no energy left to yeah. really to really address that and not, like for me especially with with my ADD yeah. you want like talking to me after a show is the most it's it's overwhelming yeah because I uh, you go and you do a character. And and you spend so much time and energy on it, and people want to congratulate you, and that's and that's mm-hmm. great, and they want to get into in depth conversations with you, and you're just kind of going, yeah, okay, that's fun, thanks. You no, know, I yeah, I totally get that because for me it was always on the stage. I am, I'm here and you're there. I can connect with you, but I don't have to interact with you. You know, yeah. and so there's like there is a bit of a barrier that's created between the actor and the audience, and then when that comes down, and I have to now mm. interact with you, it, it sort of was always like I I, I managed to come up with um, some some thank yous that I thought sounded really genuine. <laughs> People would come up and say thank thank you, thanks. There was like the stammer somehow made it sound like <laughs> a little it was more, more earnest, genuine. Yeah. Um, but I, I had to rehe- I rehearsed those for a long time before I could actually like deal with people. It's it's funny too because um, I mean there's you can always kind of get a gauge of how much presence 
is expected of you in a conversation. Mm -hmm. And no one is ever really 100%, but when we're up on stage, we get pretty close. Yeah. Um, so depending on what show we're in, um, when we get out, we could still be riding off of that energy wave yeah. of so connected in this moment. Yeah. Or we could be like so disconnected from that and and it's not a it's not a, a an angry thing or a or an I don't want to deal with you right now it's it's simply like it it's simply a not being aware yeah. kind of thing because you're not present and uh like I I can I can just remember um countless shows the big thing for me with um with ADD is that I uh I can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation very well. Mm -hmm. um, I, when I'm when I'm in a sea of people, and when I have to address multiple people at a time, if it's not a show, um, it's it's very hard for me to focus on one person because, like, with multiple people talking, How could you? How you could don't you? know what yeah. stimulus to take yeah. in. And after having spent a lot of work to 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 ask for that energy again to mm -hmm. bring that focus into the many conversations that are going on and it's it's uh, it's it's not even sometimes that it's overwhelming it's just that it's not possible yeah yeah um, and people have a hard time understanding that and and because of that um, people have a hard time understanding um, social awkwardness and yep. social anxiety mm -hmm. and I used to be the queen of non sequiturs there are probably <laughs> still a bunch of people who would tell you that I am the queen of non sequiturs mm -hmm. um, just because some of my some of, some of the things that I find funny and my jokes that I notice are so detail oriented that they seem to come out of nowhere to some people mm -hmm. and then I have yeah. to like backtrack and explain all you of it and I just what the, what the mind process was to get to this joke yeah and I don't have the energy that, to course. explain yeah. all of that so I'll just shoot it off when I'm that tired and they go huh yeah <laughs> um but I mean that's something that you grow with and you learn and you uh you develop um and uh, it's sometimes it's not necessarily building on your capacity to be able to focus for extended mm -hmm. periods of time. Although, I mean, especially for the stage. I mean, if you're doing... I, I was in a show that uh, was a three-and-a-half-hour tragedy. Uh-huh. Um, and then afterwards, we had to strike. Um, like, wonderful learning experience. By the end of it, I was done. Yeah, yeah. Um so you learn you learn how to take care of yourself in that and you learn you learn just how to take care of yourself socially yeah. in that and i think that a lot of people know how to take care of themselves they don't always know how to take care of themselves socially yeah um, yeah what was it that made you want to start your own theater company um <laughs> A lot of bitterness. <laughs> um, as I mentioned before, I, uh, I walked out of Theatre Ontario and I didn't have any calls. And um, and I had done, in part, the pieces that people had told me not to do. Um, and there was this little tiny voice in the back of my head that was that was telling me, you're, like, you're not meant to be an actor, you're going to fail, all these things. And um, I, I said, no. I'm not, and, mm -hmm. you know, if I have to keep 
if if I have to make work for myself to get started, then mm -hmm. I will do that. Um, and you know, in the ideal world, in the in the fantasy that we create for ourselves, mm -hmm. it was I'm going to make this fantastic play, and I'm going to get picked up from there, and of it's going to be yes. amazing. Um, and uh, that was that was definitely a part of what I was doing at the start, but then I just kind of got into it a lot more. Um, so I started the company. Uh, I started the company out of uh, out of some bitter feelings, but also um, some some feelings and knowledge of the kind of community that I wanna that I wanna cultivate and bring forward. And that a lot of that was that, um, and still is, that uh, you know, if we're gonna make Shakespeare accessible, let's really make it accessible. Let's mm -hmm. not make it about an elite. Um, let's, let's make it, uh, let's, let's make it relatable so that it is accessible. Um, let's have, let's make it accessible, not just for today's audiences, but for today's artists. Mm -hmm. I don't want to see a 40 year old Juliet. I want to see a 20 year old Juliet. I want to see a 15 year old Juliet. I want to see a Juliet that's actually semi close to uh that that age um having said that i have seen some 40 year old juliets who have knocked it out of the park and that's amazing um uh, and and really just uh cultivating a community of artists coming together to talk about where they came from with shakespeare mm -hmm. because when i when i graduated from school i felt so out of sorts with shakespeare and i felt like there was so much that I didn't get that my classmates did, mm. um, and it made it, it made me feel stupid, mm. um, and I didn't want to feel stupid anymore. I and I didn't want to like, I, I didn't. I wanted to. This is this is the great thing that I think, I think people forget, and this is what makes people. Um, build up a little bit of a resentment for uh for 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 people who don't get things right away like you know there's always uh everybody everybody comes in at a different level yeah. and everybody comes in with a different understanding and different approach but there's uh, i i didn't i didn't want to enter uh i didn't want a community that was like if you don't know the rules we're not going to tell you yeah um, and I don't, I also don't want to be coddled about, about my learning. Like, I, we never stop learning and yeah. we all come from different rule sets and, um, I, I want to, I, I wanted to be able to learn on my own terms yeah. and I wanted to cultivate a community that would be okay with that and would be welcoming to that, um, which was a lot of where where my company started mm -hmm. um we auditioned for shakespeare on the subway and we had um we had nine different artists from various different theater schools we had someone going into u of t we had someone who had graduated from york um, we had two lovely ladies who had graduated from fanshawe um, who came from more of like a physical theater background with regards to the text and more of a devised theater background um, we had a Ryerson grad, we had a Humber grad, we had, 
Um, my co-founder had spent a year in U of T and decided that post-secondary school was not for him and he was going to go and figure out theater and acting on his own um, without without there being a like a post-secondary education to it, which like I know that that's a big thing that we hold really high in our society for to, to go to post-secondary school, but like there there are so many brilliant artists who don't have that yeah. background that that really needs to be regarded and like yeah. Um, yeah. The Shakespeare on the sub on the subway mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> was that just people you're riding the subway at like rush hour and then a scene happens that you're not expecting or um so we were we were doing um, street theater with a captive audience more or less because mm-hmm. we'd go on to the cars. Um, and then we would uh, we would we would go and perform a scene or a monologue or um, a collective piece, uh, such as you know taking the the witch's text and making that into a choral piece. Now the thing that uh, the thing that makes it a doable project, and the thing that I think a lot of people a lot of people get turned off by the idea of a captive audience and don't get me wrong I totally understand it considering that a lot of our work happens in hospitals yeah Mm -hmm. we have a captive audience a lot of the time we ask permission um, and with with hospitals you know we have the uh, we have the luxury of being able to ask that permission when Mm -hmm. you're doing something more street theater uh, like Shakespeare on the subway you don't have that luxury to verbally go up to someone and say, would you like to see this? Because more often than not, you're probably, yeah, they're going to say no. Um, But there are other ways to ask permission to take the space in a way that is less so taking the space as inviting people to be, to either be a part of it or no. Mm. Um, And that's the thing that we really learned um, in our rehearsal period, uh, we worked with a lot of different street theater artists who who gave us a lot of uh, a lot of tools with how we uh, how we take the space and how we give people permission mm. to be a part of that space and how we uh, cater to people who don't want to be a part of that because it's important to you know not shove it in people's faces yeah. and be really peaceful about yeah. it. If someone's gonna leave the space, I'm not gonna follow them. If uh, you know, if if someone's gonna, if if someone uh, works to really interrupt and be seen in the middle of your piece to try and like, uh, especially um, there 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 are some uh, instances where we had people with mental health issues get yeah. really paranoid, upset, really elated mm-hmm. about it. Um, so much that they wanted to be a part of it. Like, there's so many different things that happen yeah. on there, and there's a total different psychology to that. You just really have to um, be aware of that, do your research on it, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, and and be willing to go with the flow mm-hmm. of what's happening. It's the same as any any uh, improv show. Just say yeah. yes to what's happening. Um, and um, with that, you know, that was the that was the basis of, of what we went on to the subway with um, and, and performing for a captive audience. The second that someone, you know, told us, no, like, don't do this, 
we don't want this here was the second that we were like okay cool we'll get off at the next stop sorry to sorry yeah. to disturb you so with this from from subway to hospitals mm-hmm. how how does that happen um so uh, we got a lot of press from the from the subway interactions mm-hmm. um before I say that, I just want to preface uh, with the with the subway as well. Um, I mean, aside from doing all of the research and learning all of the bylaws of the TTC, we also um, asked permission of the corporate uh, corporate executive. I believe he was Brad Ross. Yeah, yeah. Um, we asked. We we we, uh, we first did some research with him. Communications Commun- yeah. Now, yeah. now that's the yeah. title. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we we uh, we did some research with him beforehand, and uh, and it, it was for a, a school project and whatnot. Um, and we learned a little bit more about it, and then uh, and then I emailed him after the interview that I had with him for this research, saying, you know, um, we we would like to do this. Um, this coming summer um i'd just like to know your thoughts or and 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 whatnot um and he he had said to us you know so long as you're not disturbing any like so long as you're not disturbing the flow of traffic or uh causing too much of a too much of a scene Mm -hmm. um too much of a scene being like disrupting completely disrupting um a ttc ride then you're totally welcome to do that. Hmm. Um, so we, yeah, we went and did that, and then someone tried to, to shut us down at one point, um, at which point we pulled up all of our communications and said, here's, here's, here's the, the interaction that we had, here's how we know we're actually uh, allowed to do this. Um, we've also got this many reporters who are coming in who have already checked in with this person to make this, to, to report on this yeah. today, so... Um, unless you want me to go and call them and say, don't come anymore. Um, this is, this is what we're going to have to do. Um, but I digress. Um, Shakespeare to hospital, or subway to hospitals. Um, so, uh, after getting all of those reports, um, and, and getting on the news, um, which was a crazy exciting time, um, my grandmother had said, would you come and perform for, uh, for, for my senior residence? And I, I, of course, said, sure, let me see if I can get the actors together. We got the actors together. Um, and we did another, uh, we did another performance uh, there, and we kind of brought all of our material together. Um, and, uh, yeah, through that performance, I mean... All of a sudden, we, being fresh out of school, there were still things that I was learning and still things that other people were learning about the show and about Shakespeare in general. Um, and I remember finishing that piece and, and going, oh, I didn't feel really great about that. But um, they had so many questions afterwards yeah. and they wanted to learn so much. Um, and then, uh, so, so that, was, that was a big deal for uh for us and a lot of people said you know you should definitely do this in in here you should do this at other residences there are a lot of people who could benefit from this um 
one of one of my actors actually um, while the news reports were going on she cut her finger open on a tin can um, she uh, this was while she was at home um, she, we, she had finished a performance that day and she cut her finger open so she had to go to uh, the hospital to get stitches and she's sitting in the hospital and the report comes on and the guy beside her goes wow that's really cool they should do that here mm. um, and there were there were all of these kind of like little hints that we should really uh, jump in and do it um, for me um, my grandmother actually passed away that year and uh, that was that was kind of the 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 real the real if I don't do this I'm gonna regret it yeah. moment um, but since then like so so grateful that I've had the opportunity to do this and really um, really get a first hand look at what accessibility is mm. um, because people don't consider that in theater and people don't uh, like when people think of accessibility in theater they think of a wheelchair ramp yeah and uh, you know making sure that uh, that that there is seating for for those who are not as mobile yeah. um, that's one level of accessibility um, when we talk accessibility we're talking about uh, you know taking taking some scenes from Shakespeare slightly tweaking the images so that we're not may we're maybe not uh, so vividly talking about the snakes and spiders that are uh, in this particular image or the uh, the the angels and devils that are in that particular image we're, we're clipping those images slightly uh, in, in our scene work so that we can make these scenes viewable to an audience who, say, deals with schizophrenia mm -hmm. and would not otherwise be able to see a scene of Shakespeare, would, would have never seen any Shakespeare in their life because mm -hmm. the images are too, too much. Right. Um, and that's like... That's accessibility on a whole different level. Yeah. Um, th there's also, you know, theater by someone's bedside, there, which goes back to the mobility. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, uh, there's that that um, that dynamic between relatability and accessibility. Um, and I, I really think that, uh, particularly with our season this year, uh, we're exploring how you find a common language with someone, um, making making theater accessible through uh, through simply addressing that, like um, seeing a piece of theater that is in French, um, as compared to seeing a piece of theater that is. Shakespeare, as compared to seeing a piece of theater that is in in Spanish, in Japanese, in all of these things, um, it's it's really it's really interesting to see how much is picked up and how you may not understand the exact words that are going on in the language, but you do understand the story because you see how important that is to another human being and sometimes it lies in how they're hitting the inflections because yeah. those inflections and those those sounds are hitting people on such an emotional level 
Um, sometimes it's simply through their body language. There's another language, body yeah. language. Um, ASL, another totally different language that isn't isn't audio based. Um, these are like I I I, I very strongly believe that uh, when we talk accessibility with Shakespeare, um, we need to get back to the fact that we are addressing it as a language that maybe not a lot of people today in our modern tongue speak um, and how we how we bridge that gap without coddling them and going okay well this means this and we're going to cut this because that doesn't make sense anymore we'll make it make sense yeah. you know um, really communicate that um, before you decide that you want to cut it <laughs> I think, well, we're kind of almost at the end of our time. Um, are you are you on the social medias? Are you on? Uh, oh, so much! Can right, I can I give you all of? Give give us the list. Okay. Um. So, uh, can I can I plug my shows as well? One hundred percent, of course. Yeah. Oh absolutely. God! Amazing. Um. So, uh, we have for for Twitter and for Instagram. For, and I'll say that again. For Twitter and for Instagram, we are at Shakespeare. That's S H A K E S P U R. Um, and uh, for Facebook, we are Spur of the Moment Shakespeare Collective without any hyphens. Um, our website is www.spuroftheMomentShakespeare.weebly.com. Yes, we are still a Weebly site. Um, <laughs> We have many shows going up right now because we, uh, we created, alongside uh, the British Council and, uh, and, the, and the Toronto Public Library, we created this awesome festival. Um, it's called the Shakespeare Lives Festival. And uh, basically, uh, we're doing a bunch of different interactive activities Interactive activities, this seems a little redundant. Uh, <laughs> interactive programs, there we go, um, to celebrate the community impact that the Bard has had on Toronto. Okay. Because, yes, you know what, there are so many plays that are, and performances that are out there that are so great, um, but there's, there is a communal impact and there is, there is an interactive impact that has, that has taken hold um, in especially indie theater mm -hmm. in Toronto, and so we want to celebrate that. Um, the tomorrow, there Tuesday, there is uh, a debate between uh, Brendan Mc McMurtry Howlett of uh, Shakespeare in the Rough, and uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and uh, and sorry, um, there's a debate between Brendan McMurtry Howlett of Shakespeare in the Rough. Uh, and Jeremy Smith of Driftwood Theater, uh, and they are debating, it's the apocalypse, and you can only save one Shakespeare play. Which one do you save? And this is tomorrow. This is April April 12th. 12th. Yes. So that'll be in the past when people hear this, but um, it's great. Totally okay. Um, there's another debate happening April 21st with Caitlin Riordan of Shakespeare in the Rough and Margaret... Of Wolf Manor Theater, mm -hmm. a member of Wolf Manor Theater whose name is Margaret. She's very lovely. I've only met her over, over email, but uh, she she's she's a lot of fun. Um, 
Can you tell us what the topic of that that debate? That be? one is uh, playing. That one is uh, gender swapping in uh, Shakespeare. That's, so yeah, and absolutely. and it's specific to women. Mm. So talking about you know do we uh, do we change male characters to female uh, as we as we cast Shakespeare mm. shows modernly or do we keep them within what was originally written? Mm. Um, we also have this is the big one uh, the Shakespeare's Showdown which is a it, it's a it's another theater Christmas every so Shakespeare's is what your Shakespeare's yes and that is um, April what is Shakespeare's 24. Shakespeare's is uh, a great competitive show uh, where and and it's it's all it's all live like none of this is pre-planned or anything mm-hmm. okay. Um the top nine indie Shakespeare companies in Toronto get together, and uh, they competitively read the first folio. Now, in that, um, the first folio, I mean, Fs are Ss and Us are Bs. It's very, it's very calligraphic. Yeah. It's hard to read. So um, if they screw up, they have to drink. And uh, there's a lot of drinking. Okay. Um, and and the the great thing is, you know, we have had Stratford actors do this mm-hmm. alongside actors just out of theater school, and the results will surprise you. <laughs> we uh, we have we have a couple different rounds of this. One of which is the fool's round. So someone who has failed and failed gloriously mm-hmm. gets their own round just to continue to make these mistakes <laughs> in the most comedic way that they can. Um, there's also, uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of opportunities to get involved with this, so there's some trivia going on within that. Um, there's an opportunity to win tickets to the Shaw Festival, um, as well as some different uh, restaurant gift certificates. Um, and tweet seats, the front row seats, mm-hmm. are... $18 and you get a free beer. Um, if you go in a group of five, you get a, a party pack, so you get uh, some free t-shirts as well as some some uh, swag as per what team you want to root for. Um, and yeah, general admission is $15, April 24th, um, Sunday night, not this Sunday, but the next. The 24th? Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's Thank possibly so the longest plug I've done. <laughs> that's, that's Thank <great>. you. Thank <laughs> you.